Hello and welcome to the November 20th, 2018 edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. My name is Mr. Joe. This is my neighborhood. This is my life. But this is our podcast journey. Welcome to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome, of course, to another edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. Let me start by apologizing to everybody. I know it's been longer than we all wanted it to be. Uh, It's definitely been a rough week for Mr. Joe. Uh, I never like to make excuses, but I have to tell you that this implant or sinus thing, this physical um, ailment that I've been dealing with and suffering with, has really been bothering me. And this is the first day in which I could actually speak longer than five to eight minutes at a clip. So that is really why I have not been able to record. You know, I started in um, recording in a way where it was very different for Mr. Joe, meaning usually I just sit down and, you know, I, I, I bang out a half hour, 40 minutes, whatever uh, time allows or, you know, whatever the podcast content is, you know, I'll go through it. N- never any time restrictions, although I, I like to keep it less than an hour so people don't get too bored. Uh, you know, I don't want anybody's attention span to flounder on me. But what I tried to do over the last week is literally record at about five minutes a clip and it drove me insane. I just couldn't do it. It was very different than what Mr. Joe is used to. You know, as you know, I don't take or I don't read from any notes. And what I found myself doing was taking notes on what I was speaking about so that I could pick it up from where I left off. And it just wasn't working for me. And one of the reasons why I couldn't speak is it appeared that every time I went on and on in terms of... And and it's bothering me right now. Don't get me wrong. It's a different feeling. Uh, It's not as inflamed as it was. And thank goodness I'm going for the CAT scan tonight. So I'll definitely have some information for everybody ready to rock and roll when I find that out. But the longer I would speak, it's almost like the more pressure... I would feel under my right nostril and it was really uncomfortable and I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. I I actually steered away from any long phone calls at work uh, just so I could prevent having to do that. Um, Very difficult. And, you know, yesterday was actually probably the first day. I feel much better today, but yesterday I had to do, um, goodness, for work. I had to actually get on camera You know, with the lights and all and microphone, the whole works. We're not talking about recording from a cell phone. We're talking about recording a heavy-duty video for my company. Um, And I had to do that while I was pretty uncomfortable. But it was only a minute and a half clip, which ended up taking me about seven or eight takes, which is not like Mr. Joe. But yesterday was not not a great day in terms of the way that I felt again. Now... Interestingly enough, with all of this going on with my physical ailments and physical health, ironically, mentally, I have to say that it hasn't been too bad. It really hasn't. 
Um, I'm, I'm in a pretty good place right now. I don't have a whole lot to complain about because that's usually ultimately what I feel like I end up doing while I try to educate my audience. I feel like in the, in the end, you know, it's nothing but a big pile of complaints that I throw on everybody and with the hopes that people can, I guess, um, not, not sympathize with me, but empathize with me. I believe that's the word. That's one thing that's been going on. I've been having a hard time uh, pronouncing some of my words. I feel like uh, I'm a little jumbled up when it comes to my speech. Maybe it has something to do with the fact that I haven't been speaking a whole lot over the last week. Uh, but whatever it is, it's definitely been a little off in terms of the way that I've been able to communicate. So bear with me. I'll do my very best for my audience. But once again, it's it's great to be back. And I truly apologize. I got about seven or eight emails um, of people just asking me if I was okay, and um, I tried to quickly write to everybody this morning. If you're one of them, you know who you are, and again, I'm so sorry. I figured I'd come on air and explain exactly what was going on, because otherwise Mr. Joe goes off on a bit of a tangent. If I try to explain myself, um, I start getting into, um, I guess, feeling guilty, ultimately, is what it comes down to. Feeling guilty because I'm not there for my audience. And I feel like in, in many respects I'm letting you down as an audience. And quite honestly, it's, it takes its toll on me as well. Because again, this is my therapy. This is what I need in my life in order to maintain the best overall possible mental health truly is. On top of the medication that I'm on, I need this in my life. And I view it as if it was when it's absent from my life, it's the same exact thing as just not going to see your therapist. Okay. Now now I'm not saying that you should listen to this and refrain from seeing a therapist. This is not meant to take the place of therapy. This is meant to be listened to and used in conjunction with your therapy. So, you know, for Mr. Joe, it would probably be a good idea for me to also attend some therapy. But you know what? Again, my doctor wasn't high on it. She really wasn't. And that that doesn't mean overall. For other people, absolutely it's necessary. For me, she just didn't think it was necessary. And, um, and, and not for the long term, just at this point in my life. She didn't think that it was something that I could even fit in. And she was worried that the obligation of going during this period of my life would actually cause more stress than I could handle. So I appreciated her honesty when it came to that. So anyway, on top of the seven or eight emails that I got asking me if I was all right, and I'd say about six of you actually had asked me if I was hospitalized. Um, I guess that's, I guess that's the common question when you don't hear from somebody in a long time, you know, especially with bipolar disorder. Are you in the hospital? As you can see, I'm not. But on top of the seven or so um, inquiries asking me if I was okay, and everybody was very kind, of course, you know, genuinely concerned about Mr. Joe's well-being, um, I actually got a lot of questions, a lot of questions about bipolar disorder and about um, drug addiction and drug abuse. And I know we, I don't think we've ever done 
a question and answer podcast, but I'm actually going to do one today. It's going to be the first time that we do something like this, I believe. Uh, although I, I do recall maybe possibly going over one of the questions that I had in my email at one point in time. However, I probably um, came up with some kind of a title. For this particular podcast, I don't think I'm going to have a title because the three questions that I have um, taken from the emails are all relatively different. They all lead to different directions. So I don't have one real good topic to put in as the title. So we'll just take it from here and, and see, you know, if I gotta if I gotta call questions and answers, by by all means, you know, we'll do so. I'm not worried about it. So let's go for it, okay? And as always, Mr. Joe is going to share some of his personal experiences, probably much of what you've heard already, but at least I can I can pinpoint the questions in the best way that I possibly can, and dedicate my answers, which may seem to be repetitive in nature, at least towards the particular question that's being asked. So let's start with question number one, which I found to be very interesting. The uh, emailer, and I will not disclose names, writes to Mr. Joe, Mr. Joe, you often speak of irritability while you are manic. What do you find to be the most irritating during these times? <laughs> That's a great question. It really is. I mean, good goodness gracious. I mean, I probably should have prepared these. <laughs> probably should have prepared my answers. But this is, this is kind of the way that Mr. Joe rolls. And I think by doing it this way, you'll get the ultimate honesty from Mr. Joe. I'd rather not prepare things. Um, rather just go with my feelings and go with my gut. And as you know, in terms of irritability with Mr. Joe, it, um, it occurs quite frequently. As a matter of fact, I, I believe that I've spent a large portion of my life with bipolar disorder in that irritable, manic phase. The unfortunate truth is that Mr. Joe's happiness would last only a very brief period of time and if I didn't do drugs to try to maintain that level of happiness, I would ultimately go up into a manic mode where I was completely irritable. And if I did drugs to maintain that happiness, by God, you best believe when I came off those drugs, I'd be just as irritable as if I didn't do the drugs, if that makes any sense at all. So let's let's look at this from a perspective as... Um, I'm not doing any kind of drugs, okay? It's just a basic bipolar mood swing in which I have now lifted up into that manic mode in which irritability is one of the primary symptoms that we are suffering from. If I was to come up with a irritable thing in my life, um, I'd have to say my dog's barking. <laughs> I know it sounds silly, but it's true. I hope I hope I don't sound offensive to animal lovers because I do love animals. I actually have one of my dog's names tattooed on my back. I've been a dog owner my entire life. But I have to tell you, when I am irritable and those dogs bark, it's almost like I, I, I get a feeling inside my stomach, inside my chest, throughout my entire body 
where I am ready to lose my mind, literally. And here you have Mr. Joe, you know, yelling at the dogs, shut up, enough is enough, knock it off, this dog's insane, what's wrong with this dog, you're out of your mind, I mean, they're just doing what they're not, I mean, there could be a robber, literally, a burglar coming into Mr. Joe's house through the window, and I find it more irritating if my dog is barking at that predator as if the person actually made it in and stole everything in Mr. Joe's house. And that's the God's honest truth. I find it to be so irritating that it's almost like if they would be quiet, I would allow them to come in, the burglar, and choose what they wanted to take with them, just so the dogs would shut up. And, and again, guys, I mean, you're talking about a man who lets his dogs cuddle up with him at night in the bed. They're not huge dogs. One is a Cavachon. Look it up if you need to. One is a Beachapoo. Um, both Bichon mixes. One happens to be a King Cavalier and a Bichon. The other one happens to be a Poodle and a Bichon. They're designer dogs. They're adorable. They're smart. They're loving. I'm sick and tired of my 18-month-old throwing food their way because the habits have become increasingly worse. By the way, it's his fault that they're now at the dinner table begging for food because the kid thinks it's hysterical to throw things down at them. I mean, so you want to talk about irritability. I mean, here I am getting mad at these dogs when meanwhile it really is just my son causing this mayhem when it comes to eating at the table. So, uh, again, to summarize dogs barking, I, I, I can't even begin to tell you what it does to me. Now, when I'm not irritable, any kind of mood other than that, and, and by the way, I will tell you this, when I'm depressed, it also bothers me, but I am able to tune it out to the extent where I will not open my mouth it might make me cry, as sad as that sounds. I can't believe this. I don't believe that I have to deal with these dogs barking. How could they do this to me? Like a real wackadoo, okay? You know, that's the depressed. In comparison to the irritable manic maniac that Mr. Joe could be, what is wrong with you? Knock it off. Oh, my God. I can't believe this. They just don't shut up. What is wrong with you? And then I have my wife in my ear. What do you want from them? They're dogs. What do you expect? You know, and I just don't know what to say. Speaking about my wife, who I love extremely, more than anything in the world, if you want to talk about irritability, now I'm not going to say my wife makes me irritable or is, is a, something that I find most irritating when I'm in that mood to properly address this question. I'm not going to say that. But I will say, because I live with her, and I have to see this happen or engage in this particular action the most with her, by the way, it would be irritable or irritating to me if anybody was in this position, but again, my wife happens to be in this position. One of the other things that is irritating to me when I'm in that mode is when she's in my way. <laughs> she's all she's got to do is be in my way. And you would think it was the end of the world. You really would. I'll give you an example. 
okay? I was feeling a little irritable. I don't know what day it was. God only knows, okay? And here my wife is now preparing lunch for Mr. Joe, doing right by Mr. Joe. And forget about right. That's not even the right word. Doing extra for Mr. Joe, being a wonderful, caring, nurturing, beautiful wife that she is, making Mr. Joe's lunch for the day so that I can go to work and open up my lunchbox and bam, there it is, a delicious grilled chicken salad with chickpeas and tomatoes and black olives and, I mean, you know, the whole nine yards going to town for Mr. Joe. So you would think that Mr. Joe could push his irritability aside, but no. So I'm making my breakfast, and I'm having egg whites for breakfast, and I'm cutting up my avocado that I mix in with my egg whites, and I simply have to return the egg carton to the refrigerator, but my wife happens to need to grab the dressing to put in my lunchbox. She's taking too long at the refrigerator. I need to return the eggs. And... I stop dead in my tracks, and I'm looking at the refrigerator, and I'm saying in my mind, damn you, would you get out of the way? I mean, what is wrong with you? I need to get to the refrigerator. How dare you? I mean, is that normal? That I'm actually losing my patience over the fact that somebody is in my way? Uh, forget it. When let, Let's say I have to throw something out in the garbage, and I go to throw it out, and she has to throw something out at the same time as me, and her hand intercepts my hand? I mean, God forbid I drop it because of that? Oh, my God. I can't believe this. You know, these are the things that come out of my mouth. It's, it's unbelievable. If she walks in my way, you know, it's almost like I stop short, and I'm like, Oh, God. You know, like it's the end of the world. Like I can't wait in another not even another 10 seconds, another three seconds for her to move aside. It's not like she's doing it on purpose. I don't know if anybody could relate to this, if it even makes sense. But dear God, man, when somebody is in my way and I am irritable, and again, it's not even an in-the-way kind of fact. It's not, it's not even real. It's just, I'm going to do something, and somebody's there, and I just have to have the patience to wait two to three seconds. And I can't do it. I can't do it. You know, and in my head, I'm saying, oh, dear God, when is she going to move? Like, do I need to deal with this now? i I got to be at work. I can't believe this. I'm going to be late. Meanwhile, i got an hour and a half until I have to leave. I mean, so, go figure. Okay, and I know this sounds silly, and maybe these are not the answers that you're looking for, but this is just the honest truth from Mr. Joe. And ironically, you would think that I would find my kids to be irritating during this period in time, and I actually don't. It's very strange how they don't have an effect on me in terms of my irritability. Um, now, I've been told by my wife that I'm rather short sometimes with others, and I present in an irritable fashion, but I oftentimes don't recognize it. At least these things I can recognize. And in looking back on them, I want to believe that with my children, I'm not being that irritable madman that I can be in these other situations. But, you know, people have said to me in the past that you're not so calm like you think you are. So 
it is quite possible that I, um, you know, I'm giving myself a little bit more credit than, than I should be when it comes to my children. But ultimately, um, if anything, I think I, I think I cater to my children way too much. Okay. Now, uh, let's move on to the next question. And this could be a long one. So I'm going to have to cut this down uh, just a little bit. Question is, what drug did you mostly use to manage your bipolar moods? Wow, that's a good one. (laughs) Well, I know we've spoken about this before. You know, maybe not all in one shot, but throughout the course of our podcast journey, we have definitely addressed these things. But let me be specific about them. And again, I don't want to spend too much time on this. It's a great question, but I know I've reviewed this in the past. I would say, in terms of managing my bipolar, I think if I was to choose a drug, the first one would be marijuana. That was the one that I abused more than anything in my life. That's the one that I used starting at 16 years old up until January of this year. Um, you know, very long time, of course, with some periods in between in which I stopped using, specifically when I had panic attacks. Um, but for the most part, marijuana was the way that I functioned. Um, there were times in my life where I needed it to, you know, we called it wake and bake. Okay, for Mr. Joe, it was a wake and survive because I could not make it out the door without smoking marijuana. So what, what I was treating in terms of the mood, was it depression? Was it, was it mania? I don't know. I just know that I needed it to function to try to eliminate those drastic mood swings. Now, I guess in second place would be opiates. Um, even Suboxone, you know, I think, I think those two things for a period of time allowed mental stability, or at least I thought it did. And I think it even helped my depression, you know, and now when I say it helped my depression, of course, that was, that was using substances that are technically not made to treat depression, but because I was so high, and even with the Suboxone, you know, with the energy that it gave me and that, you know, once you get hooked on the Suboxone, you need it just like you need an opiate. So if you're not taking it, you're never going to feel your normal self. And once you dose, everything is right in the world. You may not be high as a kite like you are with opiates, but it's the same effect in the sense where you need that drug, drug to remain stable. And for me, I believe opiates such as the Oxycontin and the Percocets and uh, the Suboxone, I believe that they, for a period of time, mimicked what an antidepressant would do, but also made me incredibly high and skinny and out of shape and basically look like a drug addict is really what it did, you know, because I didn't eat properly. All I did was snort. Um, you know, I looked sickly. I looked like a heroin addict It would look. Somebody, you know, because it's all the same, guys. Just because I wasn't shooting needles of heroin, it's not like needles scared me, okay? Because I shot needles into my arms and butt for many, many years when it came to anabolic steroids. So that didn't scare me. It was just at the time when Mr. Joe was using, pills were, pills were the way to go. 
You know, now unfortunately it seems like heroin is the way to go because they've they have really cracked down on the pill distribution nowadays. So people are buying heroin and dying after shooting heroin one time because there's so much garbage in there that um, people are dying. So now clearly, obviously, none of that really was working. Maybe I thought it was, but you know, ultimately it all led to the same place. An ultimate disaster in Mr. Joe's life. Now, if I was to put three and four, three and four would be tied, actually, with three, number three coming in a close... Number three being ahead of number four, just slightly, and I would think I would put cocaine as number three, and alcohol as number four. And I say that because... Believe it or not, those two particular drugs, I don't believe I used. Well, then again, now that I think about it, they were actually a little bit more specific. Marijuana and opiates was more of a long-term usage that would allow me, so I thought, to stay stable. Whereas cocaine and alcohol were almost those acute, or immediate uses to address whatever mood I was in. For example, cocaine. Believe it or not, people would oftentimes think, well, you got to be depressed in order to use cocaine. No, not the case. Not the case at all with Mr. Joe. I would be in manic mode because everything would be perfect. I would have no cares in the world. So even hypomania. You know, this went on for a very long time. Hypomanic, feeling great, feeling happy, want to get up a level, a little, little bit higher than I already am. And, you know, boom, right to the cocaine. You know, to maintain that high. I always thought that the cocaine would maintain that bipolar, hypomanic slash manic high. Same would apply, honestly, to um, the alcohol. You know, I never, I never really drank while I was depressed. As a matter of fact, I can't recall drinking while I was depressed. It was more during the manic times. And I think in that particular time, I would use it actually to bring me down and slow me down. So whereas the cocaine use was during a period of time where I was hypomanic to get me higher than I already am, I believe the alcohol was probably used when I was above the hypomanic threshold, in the manic threshold, and I would use it to try to bring me down a notch, hopefully to hypomania, and a lot of times it would work. Um, and, you know, I guess that's what made me the happy drunk, the, the complete idiot who would jump on top of hoods of a car, okay, walk out of bars and jump up and down on a car like a monkey, Okay, you know, and think that's normal. I mean, these are real things that happen. Okay, you know, ripping doors off hinges in bars like a psychopath. Fighting with people, putting their faces in toilet bowls and flushing the toilet bowl while their face was in it and thinking that was cool. (laughs) Is it embarrassing? Absolutely. Is it disgusting? Absolutely. Is it something that I regret? Absolutely. Which actually brings me to my last and final question. Somebody asked Mr. Joe, what is my biggest regret in life? And that's a really hard thing to answer. Because I believe that I have a lot of regrets. I can't pinpoint them all. Because you're asking me what my biggest regret is. And 
I think what it comes down to is even all my little regrets in life, I think ultimately they were all lessons that needed to be learned in order to get Mr. Joe to where he is today. So it's almost, you know, um, counterproductive to label them as being regrets because ultimately those regrets were necessary to get Mr. Joe to a functioning and successful level in life. So it's hard to say, but listen, if I had to choose one regret, and again, ultimately, this led to me figuring things out. But if I was to turn around and say one regret, it would probably be not properly addressing my bipolar disorder while my children, while my older children, were growing up. Not that they're completely grown up now, but they're 13 and 15. And, you know, when I really went through my really rough stages of drug addiction and bipolar disorder, they were little. They were two and four and three and five. And, you know, as they got older and could understand more, you know, Mr. Joe never got better. He got worse because I never followed the advice of the doctors. I, I never went to a psych... I'd go to a psychiatrist. I'd get prescribed certain doses. I'd try to manage my own medication. I'd take it to my primary physician or my Suboxone doctor. They'd fill my prescription for six months. I'd stay on things. If things didn't work, I'd drink, I'd smoke. I'd do cocaine, you know, to try to manage the meds that I was on. I'm, I'm lucky I didn't drop dead with the amount of things that I mixed. If you really think about it, And ultimately, my children, as much as I love them and want to believe that I was a good role model, I really wasn't. I really wasn't. You know, I mean, they saw me sleep a lot. You know, Daddy, can you play with us? Where, no, I can't even open my eyes because I'm on too much Depakote and I've never never got enough nerve or uh, or wherewithal or desire to go to a doctor and tell him what I was feeling. Like, no, 1,500 milligrams of Depakote might be too much, Doc. So let's work on that. But instead, I didn't. I just kept popping the Depakote. So I'd be sleeping all day, every day, uh, getting into car accidents. You know, great. Depakote ER, boom, three in a row. You know, one time, two times, kids, uh, kids had to come get me and see cars destroyed. You know, besides the sleeping, the anger. You know, when I really didn't know what was going on before I promptly addressed anything at all, before I even got medicated, before I was hospitalized, when I was clueless as to what was going on. And I can't really pinpoint that as a regret, but I can turn around and say, well, listen, you addressed it, you were hospitalized, and you still didn't take care of it because Even then, you became an angry maniac, and your children saw that. They saw you stomp around the house. They saw you breaking glass doors. They saw you punching holes in walls, kicking doors down, you know, for no reason, throwing items across the the house, breaking everything that was in my sight. And by the way, just so everybody understands, although there was a period of my life recently where things stopped, in terms of doing that, when I got together with my wife, who I am married to now, there was a period in my life where I was destroying everything in her, in, in our apartment. We were in a studio apartment. 
You know, the, the damage I did before I got myself medicated. I mean, I would run around, flip tables, punch holes. I mean, thinking about it, it actually makes my heart beat out of my chest and give me anxiety. No regard for security, because we lived in a condominium development. Um, no, no regard, uh, co-op, I'm sorry, co-op development. No regard for security, no regard for the neighbors. I mean... No regard for the property damage, just didn't care. And I would act like a maniac while I was out and about on the grounds of the co-op. People would see this and I'd scream and I'd yell and I don't care who listens and who hears me. And I would do the same thing in front of my children when they were younger. In the backyard, I mean I probably woke the whole neighborhood. I don't care, let them judge me. Who the F are they? You know, the rage that my children saw at times is just unexplainable. And, you know, in, in combination with all that, the fighting with my ex-wife. I mean, those are my regrets. Uh, the, they really are. Those are my regrets, and they all, they all come down to one thing, that Mr. Joe did not properly address his bipolar disorder. And I'm not making excuses, but man, oh man, none of it made sense to me. None of it. I had a lot of people that I loved, that I thought really loved me, barking in my ear, oh, you're not sick. You're just going through something. Stress. Everybody gets stressed. Everybody gets depressed. You don't need medication. Of course, these are my parents. Because I could do no wrong in their eyes. Especially my mother. I'm sorry, but you're not bipolar. Nobody has bipolar in this family. Meanwhile, my grandmother's sister has bipolar. My grandmother had bipolar. And my mother is the complete definition of a wackadoodle. But I got people telling me when I'm, you know, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, you're fine. You're 100% fine. So I would just keep doing drugs and thinking that it was normal and keep sleeping and yelling and raging out in front of my children, never promptly addressing what I needed to address. And again, I'm not making excuses, but I had no idea what the hell was going on. And you would think that I would be able to make a connection considering what I would go through as a child in terms of the visions that I would have, the hallucinations that I really thought were real for a very long time. You know, people playing on swing sets with me that I have to imagine was just not real. I mean, you know, nobody was in my backyard. Nobody got invited over when I was seven years old. As far as I know now, you know, there was one friend that I had on the block. It was a female. And it wasn't a female that was playing with me. You know, now that I think back, and by the way, you know, I know this is a little bit off subject here, but... I did say that mentally I've been fine, ironically, a couple of days ago. I have to tell you that I had some really loud voices in my head. Some really loud voices. And I really couldn't decipher exactly what was going on and why it was happening and what was being said. But it really overtook my thoughts and it took me a lot to get rid of them. And a lot of times, you know, when you're hallucinating and you're hearing voices, you can't just get rid of them. You don't have any control but this was a different set of circumstances where they just kind of 
that came through and they weren't those they weren't those voices where you're kind of fooled by them. You know, like a lot of times guys, we see things and we hear things and we're in psychosis and they're really real and we cannot decipher. Now this time for some reason I was kind of able to decipher. It was interesting and I was almost able to talk myself through it and, you know, say to myself, well, you're, not an, you're not an idiot. You're not a bum. Because these are the things that were being told to me. And uh, it lasted a short while, and then it went away. Um, you know, I think back, I think back to the, you know, not to, uh, again, jump all over the place in terms of regrets, but not addressing my bipolar disorder when I was older, when I became one with my wife that I'm married to now. The, the delusions, the delusions of, and the jealousy, the sick delusions I had, guys. I mean, I was utterly convinced that my girlfriend was cheating on me with the mailman. I, I'm not kidding. You know, if I saw her smile at a mailman, like, you know, hey, how are you? And you take the mail, I'd be like, oh, they're together. You know, and, I, and I'd be st- hiding in bushes. To see her with the mailman. I mean, you know, working with her best friend and the husband and thinking that she was fooling around with the husband. Checking phone bills. Checking phone records. And I I know, I've explained this all before. Spying on her. Putting locations on her phone. Forwarding text messages from her iPhone to my iPad. Coming up with fake phone numbers to try to fool her. You know, calling as her ex-boyfriend, calling as random people, sick, sick, sick stuff, guys, and I believed it. I believed it with every inch of my heart and soul, and I drove her absolutely crazy, and I'm lucky that I still have her. I really am, because anybody else would have left. Nobody, nobody should have to deal with that. Anybody else, this is, this is way past the whole concept of just being a little bit of a jealous guy. This was delusional paranoia at its finest insanity that hurt somebody for a great great length of time and put somebody through hell made them cry each and every day for a year straight maybe longer you know from the time that she would go into work and I mean get into a car and carpool as soon as she left I'd start with her I'd I'd be in the bathroom okay using the bathroom looking on phone records through my phone and if I'd see one number that I didn't recognize I would call it, I'd hang up on the person, you know, see if I hear a guy's voice. And if I did, I'd make a whole new set of people that I thought it was. And, you know, then I'd start with her. I'd start with her, you know, who are you talking to? How come you haven't told me, you know, Larry called? Joe, who's Larry? I, I even went nuts because one of her old college professors reached out to her to see how she was doing. I mean, listen, I did find it a little strange that a college professor would ask to go to um, a a sushi place. I found it very weird, and I still do. I don't think I'm being delusional about that one. I think it's a little strange. I mean, this is a college professor that you met or you had as a teacher years ago, and now he's reaching out to you? Uh, According to her, oh, he, he was like a dad to everybody. You know, but that's how women are fooled sometimes, you know. I don't know. I could be off, but, you know, that was maybe one situation in which maybe I was right. Who knows? 
but you know, it was it was hell. It was goddamn hell. Excuse my language. God, I don't curse often, but I deserve to curse during that one because it was absolute hell that that my poor wife would go through. And um, you know, I'm proud. I'm proud to say that I've gotten to a point in my life where I'm able to hold down a position at work, hold down a job, doing well at my job. And, you know, again, it all has to do with two things, being medicated and, believe it or not, having my audience who takes part in Mr. Joe's bipolar podcast journey. In closing, I'd like to say if you are living with a mental illness right now and you're doing well, I ask that you continue to work hard. If you love or you care for somebody with a mental illness or a drug addiction, I ask that you support that person in the very best way that you know how. And if you are struggling right now with a mental illness or an addiction, I ask that you keep fighting and keep battling. And most importantly, soldier on. Thank you so much for listening to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. See you again real soon. Everybody have a great day, and it's awesome to be back.